Hey, everybody. Join us as we delve into our favorite dark tales and paranormal mysteries. Venture with us beyond the safe places that exist in daylight as we go Beyond Beyond the the shadows. Shadows. True crime. Paranormal. Hauntings. UFOs. Cryptids and unsolved mysteries. Conspiracy theories. Past lives. Reincarnation. And all the like are just a few of the topics that we will tackle. If it haunts your fucking dreams, then it will be on our show. Hi, and welcome back to Beyond the Shadows, episode 37. Welcome back, Shadow People. Uh, we want to do a couple shout-outs before we get started. So we're going to start with uh, <sighs> all, <laughs> all things outrageously dark, scary, beautiful, and totally true. So see, ladies, we can get the whole thing. We get your name right, see? <laughs> I yep. had to have Ryan do it to get it right. But I we barely even it. had to take a breath. <laughs> They put on an amazing show over there, and we're uh, definitely going to do a collaboration with them in the near future, we think, so uh, definitely keep an eye out for that, and we'll let you know what's going on with that, but uh, check them out. They do an amazing job. You know, last week, we did a whole bunch of shout-outs, and we forgot. As soon as I was done, Ryan says to me, you forgot like mother, my mother like murder. I'm like, shit. And we did. We didn't, we didn't mention them, but we wanted to mention them today. It's Rachel and Heather. They've got an awesome podcast. Yeah, they, they put on a great show. And you're actually going to get to hear a story that comes from uh, Heather in our fire pit today. Nice. So, and we're in the talks with them. We may be doing a little collaboration episode with them here in the future. So Check them out as well. They have an amazing show. Great banter. Yeah. Like them a lot. So uh, I actually just did an episode of... The One Nothing podcast with Amanda and uh, David, and that comes out October 3rd. That was a lot of fun. Um, we had a little bit of technical difficulties, but uh, I think it's me. I think I might be cursed. Have been having a lot of technical difficulties when it comes to me lately. But um, uh, Amanda's got a great podcast over there. David is co-hosting with her now, and uh, David also has a page on Instagram. It's called Down the Rabbit Hole. It's also on Facebook, and it's an awesome page. Go on there and check it out. He's got a lot of stuff on there. The both of them are great. It was a lot of fun. So looking forward to that coming out. That'll be out October 3rd, one nothing. That's what? So that's this Tuesday then, right? Yep, that's this Tuesday. So for our story this week, Ryan? Yeah, we usually scour the news and come up with a – some weeks we have like three or four stories to pick from. It's been kind of a slow news week this week, actually, so – what we, what we found is about uh, Kevin Bacon. Uh, he was on Rob Lowe's podcast this week. It's called Literally. Uh, Which is a perfect name for it, Rob Lowe's. Yeah. That, that's perfect because he says it so much. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin Bacon actually bought some property in Connecticut. Uh, I believe it was back in 83. He bought like a big old farmhouse and some property. So at one point, he wanted to buy an adjoining property. And the guy was hesitant to sell it to him because – Oh, because the house on the property. Well, first off, he didn't. He wanted to sell him just the property and not the house. Yeah, well, the, but the house is on the property, so right? He wouldn't want to. Yes, and so uh, 
Kevin said that he's like, you know, that's weird. You know, <laughs> if I'm going to buy the property, I'm going to want to buy the house. I don't yeah. want someone else moving into the house and being a problem later on. Yeah, that's weird. But turns out the reason he didn't want him to buy it was because he said it was haunted. Yeah. And he was worried Kevin Bacon would get possessed. Yeah. And do some crazy shit. Or what did he, something along those lines. Yeah. So they basically, they finally came to an agreement where Kevin Bacon could purchase the land and the house, but within 30 days of the contract going under that they had to destroy the house. Yeah, they had to tear <laughs> it down. Uh, so he actually said on the podcast that his, his wife, uh, Kira Sedgwick, uh, he told her he was going to salvage some of the banisters in the old, because, you know, old houses have a lot of Oh, yeah, a lot of nice So he wanted to salvage some of the woodwork in there. I don't remember exact quote, but it was essentially, no fucking way. Hell no. <laughs> no yeah. way are you using any of that. <laughs> We're bulldozing the whole thing. <laughs> I don't want any of that shit in my house. And I, truthfully, as much as I love the old woodwork and that craftsmanship from back in the day, because that's some impressive stuff, I don't blame her. If it's no. supposedly a haunted house, you don't want to bring that shit in. Haunted objects, man. I, told, I have a, a story. I have a haunted object story that happened here. And I'll mention it. I'll, I'll talk about it one time in uh, one of the fire pits. But yeah, I ain't bringing anything into my house that's old ever again. <laughs> Not doing it. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Let's hope she don't listen. Huh? <laughs> All right. So, uh, what do we get for this week? Uh, this week, I'm going to do something we haven't done. This is actually going to be robbery. So oh, nice. this one is Roof Man. You know, compared to some of the stuff we've been doing lately, a uh, robbery is like a feel-good story. We've been right? in some, we've been in some dark shit lately. Yeah, so, so this one's different. So. All right, looking forward to it. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll be right back. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? May 20th, 2000. At 5.30 a.m., Belmont, North Carolina, the staff at a local McDonald's were opening their store for the day, when a man armed with a gun told them all to freeze. The man was wearing a mask, and no one saw him enter the store. Well, that's because he was already there. When they arrived, the man was waiting for them. He entered the building from a hole he made in the roof of the restaurant. This was the man known to many as the Roof Man. Because this wasn't his first robbery of this sort. This was more like 40 to 50. Dude robbed 40 to 50 different places by putting a hole in the roof and coming through. You said this was a McDonald's, right? This is a McDonald's. Seems yep. like a lot of work to rob a McDonald's. But... Well, the thief took all the money from the registers and had the manager open and empty the safe into the bag. So, I mean, they're getting whatever's from the safe. It's not yeah. just like from the registers. Now, McDonald's does a lot of cash. Yeah, you'd think they would do a night drop, though. Isn't this first thing in the morning? Yeah. I don't know if they do a night drop or not. Fair Maybe they not. don't. If this guy any, knew what was going safe, on. Yeah, he had money in the safe, so probably not. Yeah. He had the employees move into the freezer where he would lock them all in. But not before he'd asked them if they wanted to take the jacket so they wouldn't get too cold before someone could come and let them out. He had told them that he wasn't going to harm anyone. The employees stated that he actually was very nice to them, other than the fact that he was robbing them. The Roof Man, a name given to him by the FBI, because in almost all of his robberies, he came through a hole he made in the roof and descended on his victims unnoticed by any until it was too late. Most of the robberies were McDonald's, not exclusively, but most. 
over three years and more than 40 different Mickey D's in nine different states. A rep from McDonald's once joked that the thief was brand loyal. <laughs> you got to have a sense of humor, I guess, after like 40 McDonald's get hit. The reason was believed to be the fact that the McDonald's all had similar designs and the robber knew the layout, which made the crime much easier and almost routine to him. His victims described him as being fast and precise. He seemed to be very knowledgeable of the restaurant. Almost all of the employees who encountered him said he was kind to them. There was once, though, that it was reported that he did pistol whip one individual. I imagine that's because the fucking ice cream machine was down. <laughs> <laughs> fucking always down. No McFlurry. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm usually really nice, but fucking tired of the ice cream situation. It had become so routine to him at this point that he had to make a mistake. And this was that one occasion while locking the employees into the cooling room. Either he didn't lock the door correctly or one of the employees had a spare key. This allowed the employees to get out of the cooler quicker. And they immediately called nine one one. You know, when I was researching this, I was wondering if you knew all these McDonald's were getting robbed and you knew what it was going to happen, it'd make a lot of sense to have a key yeah, on you. Yeah, that be smart because a lot of franchise uh, owners own more than once. So yeah, they usually own a bunch of them. guys have been hit a couple times. Uh, you might get to this point, but you see he's dropping in during closed hours through the roof and he's waiting for them inside. So I'm assuming they don't have like internal laser beam like security system type thing. I, I don't imagine. Yeah. I mean, this was in 2000. Maybe they do I mean, now. They've existed for a while. But yeah, I suppose. A lot of them have those senses where if you move – at all during closed hours, you just set off the whole. Yeah, obviously thing, not because yeah. I mean, forty of forty McDonald's or more. Yeah. The police were at the scene quickly, finding the roof man just outside of the restaurant. When told to freeze, he did just what what they told him. He threw down the gun and the bag of money, raised his hands over his head. He was caught red-handed. The man's real name was Doctor Holy Rufenstein. <laughs> It's the worst dad joke ever. <laughs> it's actually Jeffrey Allen Manchester. And <laughs> so fucking corny. You laugh at your own shit. <laughs> so, I wrote it, didn't he? It's so fucking stupid. You spent two hours I, on I that joke. Just, I didn't just like... come up with it. <laughs> that was a setup. Yeah, that was Wednesday. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Before Jeffrey became the notorious roof man, he seemed to have lived a pretty normal life. He gradu graduated high school from uh, Cordova High School in Rancho Cordova, California in 1991. After graduating from school, Manchester joined the United States Army. During this time, he received training as an airborne ranger at Fort Bragg in North Carolina and air assault training in Fort Campbell in Kentucky. He also received training as an, artil an artillery specialist. It turns out that during his time in the service, Jeffrey was married and had two children. The marriage was short-lived, however, and the two separated in 1998. It was after leaving his home and living on his own without his wife and kids that Jeff decided to use his training for things other than the military. His crime spree started in November 1998, the year they were divorced, and we continue for over a year and a half. 
Actually, I said earlier that he did it. This went on for three years. Well, I messed that up. I think it went over. It was three years of the robbery. I think there was a pause in between. You think? It was. Come on, I know. <laughs> Worst research ever. <laughs> During one of Jeff, I'm going to move on quick before Ryan asks some more questions. <laughs> no, wait. I got a couple. No, no, I'm good. <laughs> Keep moving. <laughs> quick side note. <laughs> During one of Jeffrey's military operations, a problem occurred, and he was said to have been used as a scapegoat. He was then demoted from active duty to reserves. This was a blow to his ego, and this is when he appeared to have started his crime spree. The crimes would occur in a state for a while, then abruptly stop for no reason. See? They started in a state, and then they stopped. See? For no reason, and resume in a different state altogether. This confused the police and made it more difficult in finding the man responsible. After Jeff getting caught, they were able to determine that his, his movements were due to his moving while in the military. All of the robberies coordinated with his moves and training and where he's at at the time. After his capture, he was tried and found guilty. He was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Fuck, man. That, doesn't that seem excessive? That's a hefty sentence. That's a lot for robbery. Yeah. I guess it was armed robbery, but... Yeah. You know, when I, when I heard 45 years, I'm like, shit, man, people don't get that for murder. I was going to guess like 10, 12, maybe. Yeah, that's what I would have figured. At the most 20, not 45. Wow. At, at 27 years of age. So this dude, that's it, man. You know, if he served his whole term. No, but that's unlikely, but yeah. possible. Yeah. At 27 years of age, Jeffrey was completely shocked by the verdict, like we were. Manchester was sent to Brown Creek Prison in, in Polkton, North Carolina. Brown Creek was a medium uh, security prison, which housed 1,200 prisoners. Jeffrey was a model prisoner for four years, never causing any problems. But he had no plans to stay. And neither would I. <laughs> 45 years? No. Nope. He was allowed to get a position in the prison's metal shop due to his outstanding record as a prisoner. So he was a model prisoner. Once Jeff started working in the metal shop, he began to look for weaknesses in the prison security. He had very good observation skills, being what got him in here in the first place. He began to familiarize with the, himself with the coming and going of both prisoners and guards alike. He looked for different vehicles that came and went as a potential means of escape. In the summer of 2004, Manchester decided to make his move. Jeffrey noticed that a delivery truck would come into the shop daily to pick up beds, lockers, and stainless steel uh, kitchen equipment that they made there. So the prisoners actually made the stuff in the metal shop. One day while the truck entered the shop, he slid under it, taking some measurements of the support bars under the truck. So this is like a semi-truck. So he gets slid under the bed of the truck, measured how far apart things were and everything. Nobody noticed him doing that. Nope. He was pretty he, lax. He had this, I mean, and you'll see as this goes on, this guy is very precise with what he does. Yeah. And over the next few weeks, Jeffrey began to make a large wooden panel that could be hung between the truck's metal support bars beneath the truck. He painted it black. Then he took several pieces of cardboard and also painted them black so he could use these to conceal himself while under the truck. After this, old Jeff sat back and waited. He waited for the perfect time to execute his plan. Then on July 15th, 2004, the perfect time presented itself. 
It was raining heavily that day, so Jeffrey knew that the guards would more than likely not inspect the truck as thoroughly as they might have if it wasn't. Jeff took his time checking to make sure that the guards were not looking when he slid the panel under the truck. Next, Jeff slid himself and the cardboard under the truck. He hung the panels from the support and climbed up on it. Next, he laid the cardboard up against himself, concealing his location. After the truck was loaded and the drivers returned, the guards began to inspect the truck for prisoners. They'd, every time these trucks came in, everything gets inspected. You know, yeah. they have to make sure nothing's rolling out Makes with them. sense. They did a much quicker look than usual because of the rain. One guard slid the mirror on a stick under the truck, moving it around looking for potential escapees. When he placed it under the area where Jeffrey had hung the panel, all he saw was, was black, causing it to blend in with the rest of the truck never noticing Jeffrey hanging right above it. The truck left the shop and eventually the prison. Jeff stayed under the truck till he figured he was a good distance from the prison where he jumped from the truck, escaping his imprisonment. No one at the prison had expected that anyone had escaped since Manchester was the first to ever do so. This allowed a lot of time to pass before they were aware he was gone, giving Jeffrey time to get away. Once they were alerted to his escape, the police believed that he would try to return to his home state of California, but they couldn't be more wrong. You know, they always think they're going to, and I guess a lot of them probably do. That's about the worst idea. Yeah. You know, first thing you want to do is run home. But I mean, I guess I know what, I mean, that's what familiar. I mean, a lot of these guys, they've been in prison, though. They've got no connections. They've got no money, no cell phone, no nothing. They got so nothing. you, you got to go, you know, you've got to go someplace, I think, where you get connections. But it, you shouldn't, but that's probably going to be your You know, the instinct. ones that do the best, it's just like that prisoner that just escaped. Yeah. When they're in an area where there's homes that are like seasonal, like, like here in Maine, there's a million different places where there's camps on the lake that are only used in the summer and they yeah. just sit empty the rest of the year. That's when they do the best. Yeah. You know, they slide into these homes. No one knows they're there. So, yeah, that's what that, that prisoner that was just got busted. That's what he was doing. Yeah, talking about the guy in Pennsylvania. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Boy, you see the picture they took of him? They all lined up like 50 cops with that one dude snapping uh, the phone. It was so bad. One. Anyways. But instead of leaving the area, Manchester went 40 miles northeast to the city of Charlotte. While in Charlotte, he entered a Toys R Us superstore and didn't leave. I mean, he didn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> instead, Jeffrey found a space behind the bike rack in a small cubbyhole area. In this area, no one in the store could see him or into in the nobody could see him or into the area because of the row of shelvings that closed it in. That night, when the store closed, Jeffrey went on a shopping spree. He grabbed everything he needed. He grabbed a mattress, pillows, blankets. This is a big-ass Toys R Us. Yeah. He grabbed children's meals to eat. He had pretty much everything that he needed. The next thing he needed was to learn the security cameras so he would know when he could come and go without getting caught. He broke into the security office by going through the roof panels in there, he was able to see the security cameras and the employees' schedules. He studied it all so as to use this information to his advantage. At nighttime, he would play with different toys, driving around remote control cars, and even sometimes riding a bike around the store for exercise. <laughs> you imagine you're just peeking in and there's yeah. some dude just cruising around on a bike in there. But you would go stir crazy. Oh, yeah. Because, listen, this went on for four months. 
He lived in a Toys R Us behind a shelf for four fucking months. That's a unique dude, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey, in those four months, Jeffrey never left the store. But Christmas was coming along. It's funny, his name's Jeffrey and he's in a Toys R Us. Yeah, right. Isn't that the Jurassic? <laughs> yeah, that name? is exactly what it is. Yeah. You could have a pretty limited diet. Oh, yeah. If he's only eating Toys R Us. I mean, they always sell shit, right? They know. sell like little kids' meals and stuff like that. But you'd think they'd notice them going missing after yeah, four months. Somebody's doing a poor inventory. Really bad. <laughs> so, Christmas was coming along, and Jeffrey knew that the store would be getting busier and staying open later at night. So he knew he was going to have to start looking for another place to stay. Maybe a Toys R Us penthouse. (laughs) As it would turn out, there was an old, now closed, Circuit City store right next door to the Toys R Us. So one evening after the store closed and everybody was gone, Jeffrey took some tools from the maintenance room and climbed up to the roof, his specialty. He walked across the roof from Toys R Us over to Circuit City and began to make a hole to get inside. Once he got inside, he cased the place looking for a place for him to go. He found the perfect spot. There was a staircase with a space under it that was closed in with panels that matched the walls. After removing a panel, he found a small space that would be perfect. It was dark and dirty under here, so he began to clean the area and even managed to run electricity into the spot from Toys R Us. He also added ventilation and even air conditioning. <laughs> I mean, he, he's got nothing to do, I guess, at nighttime. So, yeah, he, he wired it up. He fucking put in air conditioning. <laughs> he did it all. So If he could have put half this effort into just getting a job. Right? <laughs> in the first place? His life would have been a lot different. So, He's resourceful. Yeah, he definitely is. Jeffrey also made a way to connect the two stores through the maintenance room by a hole he made under some shelves where it was very hard to notice. In his new personal space under the stairs, he old fucking Harry Pottered it, <laughs> Jeffrey set up a monitor that he could use with the cameras uh, that Toys R Us had for baby monitors. So he stole all these baby monitors. He hid the cameras all around the store so he could watch to see what was going on. And knowing when the people were coming and going. So now he's under the stairs, all closed in. He's got fucking cameras. He's got electricity. So he's got his own surveillance. Counter surveillance. Yep. One day after several months of being completely isolated from the world, Jeffrey decided it was time to go outside again. So one night, he cleaned himself up and headed out through the roof. Jeff spent the night wandering around the city for the first time in months. He returned to his cubbyhole before morning and realized he needed to come up with a plan to get some money if he wanted to be going out and about in the stores and restaurants. He probably wants to hit a restaurant really bad. (laughs) Was he eating fucking baby food, you know? (laughs) Fun dip. (laughs) Jeffrey decided it was time to rob the Toys R Us that he had called home for months on months. Finally, we got some ambition here. Yeah. (laughs) Jeffrey had pretty much already cased the, the joint living there for over four months. He had cameras placed around. He knew the schedule of the security employees. And check this out. It was even said that he had made changes to their schedule to make the job go more smoothly. (laughs) Old Steve, like, I thought I was working tonight. (laughs) Fuck no, Jeffrey changed that. Who's in charge here? (laughs) At this point, Jeffrey already knew that the store kept the money locked up in the safe. So he's going to have to pull off another armed robbery. While walking around the city one night, Manchester found a gun shop. He knew if he wanted to pull off the robbery, he was going to need a weapon. 
So a few weeks later, in the middle of the night, he returned to the shop, climbed up on the roof, and made a hole to enter the shop. Once inside, he stole four handguns and then left the store. He returned to his hidey hole and continued to plan the job. On the morning of November 28, 2004, Manchester, wearing a ski mask, slid through the wall into the Toys R Us. It was before the store had opened, so no customers were around. He came up on the employees and nicely asked them to be quiet and lay face down on the ground. He asked the manager to open the safe and give him the money. Once he had the money in hand, he ran to the back door and flung it open. This triggered the fire alarm, or the emergency alarm on the back door. Yeah. But Jeffrey didn't leave. Instead, he slid into the maintenance room and threw the hole under the shelves. Jeffrey went back to his spot and watched on the cameras as the police were called. The employees told the police that he had escaped through the back door. The police searched the area for anyone but to no avail. While old Jeff was kicked back, feet up, away about, about uh, got away with about 1,500 bones, man. That's pretty ballsy to stay on. Well, not 1,500, 15,000. 15,000? Yeah, $15,000. That's a nice heist. Yeah, he's just sitting feet away in the store, next door, under under the stairs. <laughs> After a few days went by, Jeffrey thought it was probably safe to go outside again. I mean, he's got some patience, too, man. Yeah. You know, when he, he cased the first place, two weeks he waited before he took the guns. He waited four months to go outside, you know, and then after the robbery, he sits and waits a few more days before he moves. After a few days went by, he thought it was safe to go out again. He was back wandering the town, eating at Red, Red Lobster like all the big ballers. Over time, he became very comfortable going between his little home and the city. He even started attending church, where he met people and started to make friends, including the church, the church's pastor. Pastor. I can never say that right. Does he ever invite him back to his place? For <laughs> he would take toys from the Toys R Us and bring them as gifts for the unfortunate children. <laughs> <clears throat> so he was a he was a big hit yeah, he's at the a church. Do, he's a do-gooder. Yep. Jeffrey made a new name for himself because he knew Dr. Holy Rufenstein just wasn't gonna come. <laughs> That's a callback. <laughs> callback to your own episode. <laughs> He'd now go by Rufy McRuferson. <laughs> John I can't even say his name now. Uh John Zora? Zora. That's right. John Zora. <laughs> he became an active member of the church and started uh, attending events on the regular. He even attended a singles night and met a lovely lady by the name of Leah Wayne Scott. The two soon became uh, began dating. Needless to say, he spent a lot of time <laughs> hanging around her place playing <laughs> video games with her children. Jeffrey had told Leah that he was a CIA CIA agent and was on a mission that he could not discuss. Who's going to believe that shit? But Jeff, he gave the same story to everyone in the church, and not one person questioned it. Nobody's like, he's a CIA. He's telling everybody. <laughs> Pretty sure if you're a CIA you don't agent, go around, you're not you don't go around announcing that. No, yeah. So, but Jeffrey began to yearn for a more normal life outside the Circuit City. I don't know. The Circuit City life sounds pretty good. He wanted a more normal life, so he began to plan another robbery to help him get some cash for his new life outside of his hidey hole. 
That's funny that his plan for a new, <coughs> new normal life opens with a robbery. Yeah. <laughs> How else are you going to start a new life? Normal you know? life, quote, <laughs> robbery. Jeffrey planned to run the heist the exact same way as before. But this time, things would not go quite so smoothly. This time during the robbery, he did the same as before, having them all face that. But by the, I don't think I said it. He robbed the Toys R Us again. Having them all face down on the floor while the manager emptied the, the safe. But when he ran back, ran to the back of the store, he totally forgot to push open the door, making the employees think that he left out the back. So when the police arrived, they mentioned to the cops that they thought he was still in the store. This time, when the police searched the place, they were able to find the hole that Jeffrey had made between the stores. They entered through the hole, and they found Jeffrey's spot. Jeffrey was no longer there after watching this all unfold on his cameras. The police were able to get fingerprints from the things Jeffrey had left under the stairs. With this, they were able to identify him. The police immediately printed out thousands of flyers with Jeffrey's picture and name. Soon after, people from the church saw the flyers and informed the police that they knew the man and that he was going by the name of John Zora. They also told him that he had a girlfriend. The police went to Leah's house and told her that her boyfriend was one of the most wanted men in America. Can you believe that you'd be the one for robbing places? You're one of the most yeah. wanted men. Anyways, <clears throat> so Leah was instantly way more attracted to John. <laughs> you know women love a bad boy. At first, she actually refused to help, but eventually came around and agreed to help with the police with catching Jeffrey. She told the police that she was supposed to meet him at her house later that night. Jeff, at this point, didn't know that the authorities had identified him. That night, when he showed up at her home, the police were there waiting for him. Jeffrey was returned to prison after seven months on the lam and was resentenced to 47 years at maximum security prison oh. where he still remains today. So they sent him to a maximum security. But I wouldn't be surprised to hear if this dude escapes. He'll bust out again. He's pretty, he's pretty slick. Obviously, yeah. I mean. So I wonder if after he left the Toys R Us, the employees were all pissed off because he wasn't there to do the schedule anymore. Right? <laughs> Guy under the stairs told me I could have Saturday off. <laughs> Why weren't you here? Well, Jeff said it was cool if I just took the night. <laughs> no shit. I mean, that's ballsy. And to live in a Toys R Us, the first four months were right behind a shelf, man. Yeah. <clears throat> he literally lived behind a bike rack. Well, I guess coming from <clears throat> prison, he didn't require a lot of space. It's probably the more freedom he craved. In, yeah, in the, I mean. In the fun dip. You're right. <laughs> Nothing like some baby food. I don't really think about food at like Toys R Us, but it's got to be pretty limited. And, and he had to have been eating a ton of it. Four yeah. months worth of food is a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird that nobody noticed. Or maybe they did. They just didn't know where it was going. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine when he first gets out and he gets that red lobster for the first time? <laughs> Fuck Yeah. <laughs> 15,000 bucks didn't last long. A little hard to have ladies back to the place. <laughs> it's real. T that's I why got, he was. I got a cozy little spot on the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I can teach you some spells. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, that's the story of the roof man. That was a great story. I liked it. It was a good change of pace. Yeah, uh, well something done, a little different. Uh, so, we're going to head over to the uh, fire pit. And uh, we'll see you there. I guess you know what time it is.
So this is from the ladies over at Like Mother, Like Murder. Hi, Heather here. I'll start by saying while I'm a believer in practically everything beyond the shadows, but I've never felt in tune or sensitive. So when I had this experience, it truly freaked me out. When I was in college, I had an internship at a state hospital that specialized in psychiatric care. This hospital has been around for over 100 years, and when it first started, it was completely self-sufficient, being pretty much a working farm for the staff and patients. When I would drive onto the property, it was big with lots of old dilapidated buildings, pretty creepy. The hospital also had a forensic unit, which is where I did all my hours. So all the people had committed crimes, but because of psychiatric issues, they were waiting for trial or serving sentences here. Because of the population, I had to be pretty aware of my surroundings, head on a swivel. I even had to carry an alarm pen to push if something went down or if I was in danger. I was almost done with my hours and could get some extra hours and finish up my internship if I volunteered on another part of the unit I didn't normally work but they were having a talent show. Yep, a talent show. and needed extra staff for the extra amount of people. I went over to this really old building, and since I wasn't familiar with the layout, when I got to their day room, I set up in the corner of the room with my back all the way to the corner so I wouldn't have to worry about watching my back. The talent show was wrapping up, and a patient was reading a poem about how her mental illness sometimes felt like being possessed. It was really sad and really creepy. And just as she was finishing, I heard a loud whisper behind me, Heather. My back was literally on the wall, so I quickly scanned the room to see if maybe it was someone across the room calling me, and maybe the sound bounced off the wall or something. But everyone was pretty much completely captivated by the woman's poem. I spent the next 30 minutes just scanning the room and trying to come up with some explanation. I thought maybe someone was messing with me but I was on a new unit with people who I didn't normally work with, and on top of that, my badge didn't even have my real name on it. I didn't know if the constant state of hyper-awareness of working there was messing with me or what, but I was very happy to be done with my hours that day. That's a good story. That is crazy. I think of what uh, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic yeah, Asylum, yeah. when I think, you know, all the dilapidated buildings around and everything. You, you would think if there's an environment that's going to have some... Some, yeah, some ghosts or some demons or just energies. It's going to be something like that. Where most of my ghost stories that happened to me come from yeah. was when I was working in a restaurant department that used to be an adult psychiatric floor. Yeah. They, t- they turned into a restaurant department. So there's a lot of crazy energy in those places. And the, the mental health behind. care has improved a lot. But if you read about some of these places that go back 100 years or whatever, back then mental health was just, you know, lock them away and friggin' forget about them. Electro, t- electroshock, lobotomies, Yeah, try a lot, of, yeah. a lot of torture, really. Yeah. yeah. It was some horrific crazy shit. Crazy the stuff they did. So it's not lobotomies. A, it's not unusual to hear some, some crazy energies in those type of places. Why wouldn't there be? Right. Uh, that if, was, that was an excellent story, Heather. Definitely. Thanks for sending that in. Yeah, thank you so much. And guys, go check out their podcast. It's awesome. It's uh, like mother, like murder. You know, they, they talk about some mom stuff, and then they do a lot of true crime, yep. and it, it's great. So it appeals to a bunch of genres. Yeah, they, they mix yep. mix it up. Yeah, you don't have to be a woman to listen. I listen to it pretty much all the time. <laughs> so uh, go over and check it out. It's got a lot of good stuff. Absolutely. And they do drinks, too. So if you want to learn how to make some drinks, what, the, what they're doing that week, check it out. I mean, you might become an alcoholic, but that's on them, <laughs> not us. <laughs> 
Don't be suing us for that. <laughs> Anyways, guys, thanks for listening. We'll check you in the next one. Later, guys. Hello, Beyond the Shadows listeners. I am Rachel. And I'm Heather. We are the hosts of Like Mother, Like Murder. We bring you the good, the badass, and the crime. Each week, we bring you stories from missing and murdered to survivors and women who empower you. And of course, some mom talk sprinkled in. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts at Like Mother, Like Murder. And give us a follow on social media so that we can say hi. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye.